Oops, slipped. <laughs> All right, let's get into it, because why not? In five, four, three, two, one. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Moon Tea Podcast. John, Hugh, we're your co-hosts. And today we have Sam Obenshine, the man himself, the man with the pretty plants in the background and the pretty furniture, dude. If you are not, if you're not watching on YouTube, you are missing out. Oh, and the pretty face. So whole package right here. Um, whole package. I love that. <laughs> and um, yeah, uh, Sam and Hugh are just meeting right now for the first time. And um, I don't know, I could say an intro, but Sam, you could also feel free to say whatever you want. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, John and I went to college together uh, in LA, of course. And um, Hugh, I guess we haven't met before, but I have watched a couple episodes of uh, prior podcasts. So I feel you what? know opportunity for it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think, I think in part, I may be here because I texted John a couple of weeks ago saying that, you know, you've told me about the podcast. Let me, let me look up some of the episodes and had a good experience watching uh, a couple. What? I'm blushing. I'm so uh, that's really cool to hear. <laughs> I think, yeah, because I, th- I think John pitched the idea to me a couple months ago to come on. And I, I you know, I didn't have the best, you know, the best impression from the way he framed it. You know, it, it wasn't quite something I was that interested in. And then I watched it. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is substantive. This is interesting. This is well, well polished and, uh, you know, high production value. So here we are. I am. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> high production value. Thank you. <laughs> That's a very generous statement. <laughs> more, more than I expected. More than I expected. Let's say that. Okay. Well, that's that's the strategy to set the expectations really low, and then and then have have people like Sam come on, and then upgrade those expectations right away. So, oh yeah. First uh, of all, I mean, who cares about Sam? I care about what plants you have in the background. <laughs> So I, yeah, I can't take too much credit for the room. My fiance is mostly responsible for this, um, but I know a couple of the plants. This is a this is a monstera plant that we've had for a couple of months. It's right by the window, so it's really kind of taken off. Uh, it needs to be repotted at this point. There's a really large um, rubber tree or ficus plant in the back corner, and that's something that we actually found on the street in Brooklyn not long after we moved into this apartment. There was a brownstone about half a block down one morning, uh, just kind of out walking. And they said that they were getting rid of a bunch of plants that looked expensive. The house plants are really expensive here. Um, so we, we took them. I think that was actually probably a mistake because as soon as we brought the plants into the apartment, uh, being New York, we thought let's kind of quarantine the plants. You never know something could, they could have something. And indeed, I don't know which plant it was, but one of them had uh, fungus gnats and the fungus gnats spread throughout the living room. And then they made it across the hallway that we have into this bedroom. And so we had a bit of a fungus gnat problem for a little bit, but the plants have survived, no more fungus gnats. Um, so it was a good lesson, I guess, in taking free stuff in New York. Amazing. Wow. What, what is a fungus gnat? They, they look just like fruit flies. And I think they breed in the soil when there's moisture in the soil, then they multiply it. And so they they don't really eat anything. They're just kind of buzzing around. I mean, you don't even hear them, but you see them once in a while and I'll be on work calls, you know, doing this and just looking <laughs> kind of, kind of idiotic. So they're just a minor nuisance, but they multiply pretty quickly. And so you're supposed to buy 
these sheets of uh, sticky paper, basically, and you put them out in your plants and then they, they, they catch the, the fungus gnats over time. There's other stuff that you can do. I've, I've learned a lot about these treatments. I don't know if it's the most interesting topic to start things off with, but um, I have, it was, it was, you know, it's kind of interesting. That's amazing. Very interesting. <laughs> I'm happy to talk about plants for the next hour. Why not? What a, <laughs> yeah. <be> so dumb. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I knew more about plants, to be honest. Um, there's a ficus Audrey on the other side of the screen over there. Um, which is it's done okay it's done okay and uh there's there's other stuff here but it's harder it's harder to see sam i think i think the fact that you know all these plant names establishes that you are the plant expert in this virtual zoom room out of the three of us okay congrats i'll take that title yeah (laughs) i i love it yeah i've only owned one plant and sadly it passed away no, 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 no. I donated one. I had two and I donated one to a friend. No, I think it's doing well. But the other yeah, one was, was it pest free when you donated it? I, I, yeah, I think I took pretty good care of it. I'm wondering, can you tell if it has these fly gnats or something when you pick it up for anyone in the New York area looking to pick up <laughs> plants? Sometimes, sometimes. And the thing is, sometimes people will put plants outside because there are issues with them. And so you have to be really cautious. It's true of furniture as well. Um, so we look. The fungus gnats, I don't think you can really tell. They're spider mites that infect a lot of uh, ficus type plants and those are more visible. And then we had little bugs, I can't remember what they're called, uh, that were on another plant that were more visible and we brought the plant in anyway. So again, that's just another mistake that we made, but that one didn't spread, it, it remained local to the plant that it came in on and it's gone now. But you 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 would have to wipe each of the leaves with uh, rubbing alcohol basically. To kill the to kill the bugs and then you know turn over both sides, wipe it, go on to the next leaf, and with with the plant, you know that's as large as some of these. It takes a long time, and so you know people joke about plant parenthood and things like that, and you know it's not quite the same, but I, I can see why people say things like that uh, after doing something like that. Wow, you heard it here first. <laughs> I, I asked John in advance what what we should prepare to talk about. And um, I think you said career and left it at that. So I, I have a long list of topics that we could potentially talk about, but maybe we can start with start with work. And it seems work seems to be a mainstay of your, your topics as well as uh, maybe a little financial discussion. The one thing I do not want to talk about today is Tesla stock. It hurts. It's painful for me as someone who, who doesn't own any. Wait, yeah, why did we don't have to? Why did you bring it up? <laughs> you could also be like, you could also be like, I don't want to talk about Animal Crossing, and we'll be like, why do you not want to talk about animal? Let's talk about. It. <laughs> I think Tesla's one of the one of the topics that has come up pretty frequently when you and I have talked in the past. Uh, and, uh, a, a favorite of yours, yeah. Yeah, but it's not that interesting. I, I saw that chart. I was like, okay, that's a good day for John, and uh, you know, yeah, missing out. I'm I'm sorry I'm sorry I didn't uh, do a better job of of uh, selling you on the merits. John John saying that because years ago he did tell me to put money in Tesla and invest in it and I rolled my eyes. But I you know I'm I don't I don't I don't tell people how to live their life. But I it's it's kind of like it's kind of like religion where I'm like hey I know this thing and I hope you also know this thing, but whatever. 
it's yes. also like religion and that people think they're not really evangelizing they're not actively evangelizing but just the mention of it is, is a form of evangelism that rubs people the wrong way sometimes that's fair yeah uh, I love this. Okay, let's not talk about Tesla. And let's go back to Sam or John. What's the intro? What's the what, tell us more about you? I'm just meeting Sam for the first time. I've only heard great things. The few things I've heard, you know, Sam's a mediocre person. He doesn't work very hard, doesn't do very much. So yeah, please convince me and, cor- and correct me, I guess. I think that about sums it up. Um, yeah, so I, I live in Brooklyn, moved to New York a couple of years ago for work, um, work in data, kind of started out as a data analyst, uh, worked at ZocDoc, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. It's a pretty well known in New York, it's basically a platform to find uh, and book a doctor online. So I worked in the, the data team for a couple of years there. And then actually just recently left ZocDoc to take a job uh, as a manager of a data team in Spotify. So I'm actually about halfway through my third week at Spotify uh, and things, things have gone well so far. Yeah. But it's, it's been quite the quite the transition, and uh, John and I have talked a little bit about this. Um, and uh, yeah, that's I guess that's that's the that's the overview. Sam is Sam is also underselling himself. He he was a full time employee while getting a master's degree um, for like two or three years, and he finished he finished that. It was at NYU, um, and then now he's a now he's a fancy manager doing doing data stuff um fancy title all that all that all that good stuff that happens when you're when you're uh, in a good career and also like reasonably intelligent and good at selling yourself so like the way the way sam described his interviews it was just like he it was just like he just hustled through them and um yeah it was like really cool it was also really cool to see because um think uh sam i think it took you it took you some time to like kind of get your first first job at the real estate company and um and then from there sam has just kind of like like exploded with with his rare and valuable skills and now now he's just like just doing pretty well i'd say so shout out to sam yeah thank you thank you yeah um, yeah, John and I both went to liberal arts colleges. You know, I don't know what your your uh, educational background is. Are you public you school, private Oxy, school? Right? That's right. Yeah, that's I went right. to Pomona College. Oh, okay, okay. So you totally get this. Yeah, I mean the the, the feeling that the feeling that it left me with it was something like there's really nothing that I can immediately do with this degree. There are a lot of things I hypothetically <laughs> consider if I coupled this Classic. degree with something else could do with this so degree. Bad. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I had a good experience that, you know, I, I think John and I probably spent a lot of time kind of thinking about this and, you know, a little navel gazing and just trying to, you know, was this the right decision, was this the right background. Um, but I do feel like it worked out. And I, I think from this vantage point, I feel more confident that, you know, I benefited from that and that there are a lot of things that it gave me that I may not have had, uh, in an alternate, uh, reality where maybe I took a different path that said, it's very hard not to feel a little bit of what's the word, remorse, resentment, something like that when, you know, you're in a work environment and there are always new people coming in and, you know, they're, they're 24, they're 25 and, you know, they just graduated from Berkeley and then they worked at a place that I've really heard of for a couple of years and then they're another place that I've heard of and now they're, they're here or whatever the place is and go, I think things may have been easier that way, different, you know, easier. Uh, I can see the advantages for sure. 
Yeah. Hey, we're not, we're not here to take the easy path. Yeah. I, I had a college roommate um, who was very, who's very intent on going to medical school. Um, and I guess it didn't quite work out for him. And I remember we were talking a couple of years after graduating and I was saying something like, you know, I think there's so much value in maybe being stymied a little bit and having to kind of find your way and adapt a little bit and eventually get to something that you like and feel some sense of satisfaction that, you know, you got there and you did it yourself and you worked for it and it maybe was harder than for other people. And that's, that that's a good thing. And he, he felt very much the opposite that, um, you know, like what, what's the point in that? Just taking the hard way. And I would rather have just kind of gotten to, gotten to uh, where I wanted to be. And I, it was like, you know, he kind of said that. And I was like, we were very far apart in that conversation and, and didn't really continue further, which is very, very different attitudes about the same thing. Oh, what did you, what did you major in? Uh, economics. Uh, with a minor in uh, urban policy, basically. So like John mentioned, I ended up going to real estate and uh, working there kind of as a data analyst uh, after graduating. So that was a nice mix of, you know, some of the econ work, some of the, some of the urban studies work, and then found that this data thing I really liked and was used to that. And so it just kind of evolved from there. Um, but, you know, that's the other thing. I have a lot of friends who went to schools, you know, where you graduate from a program where there's such a clear direct path from that program into employment or you know there's literally a room full of people shaking your hand who are desperate to hire you and pay you a decent amount of money to do it and my fiance went to Carnegie Mellon where that was largely the case for her um and so it's it's very hard to when we have these conversations because we had such different experiences and I think if I had kids if I had relatives I have nieces would I want them to have that experience like she had yeah probably probably but I think she very much takes for granted that for a lot of people that that's not that that's not the case and not how things go after college. And so I have, I have, I think more of a sense of gratitude just sometimes for, for being employed and, you know, decently employed and just, you know, content and content and work because it's not hard to imagine a lot of scenarios where that, that wouldn't be the case or wouldn't have happened. Got it. I'm kind of curious just to, since we're, I, I suspect we'll go on the linear progression through Sam's career and, and we're focusing right now on the collegiate side of things. So I'm curious, like, as as a group here of all liberal arts students mm -hmm. and i'm wondering if you would suggest differently as you said to your offspring or kids if you have them or what your thoughts are on liberal arts did you, you, know? did you just call children offspring <laughs> you did not <laughs> can we edit that <laughs> yes uh, yes my filial genealogical line that <laughs> I, I i think I think the thing that's funny about liberal arts colleges is that now when I think about it, it seems very obvious to me that there are a lot of um, there, there, there are class things tied up with going to a liberal arts college. And I guess at Oxy, it wasn't so much the case. And I, I don't know about Pomona, maybe, maybe to a greater extent, but that a lot of a lot of our peers were there because they had grown up in environments where their parents were, you know, very, very successful or just, you know. Uh, well off in certain ways so that uh, there was either maybe a family business to go back to or a clear path uh, from liberal arts education into something that you know had that they had some exposure to or some uh, some ways into and so I didn't realize I guess until years after going to liberal arts college that I think for a lot of people that that's the background where it really makes sense to, to go and have that education I do think Oxy though did a pretty decent job of bringing in um what's the term, you know, first in your family. Diverse, diverse backgrounds. and Yeah, diverse backgrounds and, you know, more socioeconomic diversity. And I think 
weirdly, a lot of the, I think a lot of the really prestigious liberal arts schools probably do a little bit better because they have more aid and they can be more need blind and things like that. And it's probably on the lower end of the spectrum that there's maybe even less diversity or more, more stark class differences. I'm not sure actually. Um, but yeah, it was just funny that I didn't realize until later that like, oh I, yeah, it really makes sense to be here if you're in that state. Uh, and I wasn't in that state. And uh, John, I don't, I don't think that's quite your background. Uh, Hugh, I have no idea, but yeah, it was just interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Personally, I, I swam D3. And so it helped me get into college. I, I honestly think sometimes I was the accidental yes. Huh. And I, I, I mean, I was decent academically, but I was, I managed to get in D3, you can't get um, athletic scholarships. So I got a f academic scholarship, but I, I do think that personally, at least I think um, from what I've seen, at Pomona, I thought they did a pretty decent job, at least bringing in a lot of diverse socioeconomic uh, people from different socioeconomic backgrounds and giving pretty good financial aid packages. I think like the whole idea that private schools cost so much, I think Occidental also is really solid from what this is years ago. Right. But um, I do think that there's probably a bit more of a bad rep on private schools than they probably should. I, it makes me sad when I talk with people who coming from Arizona, right? ASC is one of the biggest, if not the biggest 90,000 plus students in undergrads. And everyone kind of dismisses private school education in the sense that it's too expensive. But I really do hope that people realize that there's really, really good financial aid out there for people of all different backgrounds. And, and it's always worth it, worth a shot. It's yeah, no, I, I agree with that. The expense is weird though, in, in that I think if you're if you come from uh, a really low income family, then it often can almost be advantageous to go to liberal college, or it makes no difference. The aid is there, um, and it works out. If you're really wealthy and you're paying full price, I mean, it's it's a crazy amount of money, but I guess people can do it, and you know, you can save for a long time for your kids to go to college. There's there's a wide spectrum in between though, where I think you, you probably pay a little bit more and you feel it a little bit, a little bit more. And, um, then, yeah, there, I, I, I actually have a, I actually have a cousin right now, um, who goes to kind of a, you know, okay. Public high school in Western Pennsylvania, which is, which is where I grew up. And I think she is graduating at the top of her class or very close to it. And I know that she got into Penn state and to Penn, right now, which are two excellent choices. And as soon as I heard that, I was like an absolute no brainer where you have to go, you know, it's the better school, it's the better location, it's, it's better environment, better career opportunities. And then I heard from her parents who I'd say are pretty, you know, pretty solidly middle-class to upper middle-class, they were really pushing her to go to Penn State for, for financial reasons. And it, it, was, it was really interesting to think about, you know, if, if you're the kid there and you're dependent on your parents to pay for college, like, what do you do? Do you push them to spend more money even though they don't, they don't want to? Uh, for your own benefit? Do you accept their decision? Do you take loans on yourself? It's a really difficult position, I think, for someone, you know, 17, 18 to, to be in. And I, I, I guess I worked at 17 or had, had a bit of a job, but had no, no, you know, adult standing, understanding of finances and, you know, anything like that. And so you're even less well equipped to, you know, have, the, have a conversation with your parents about finances you know, on the same level as them. It's tough.
Malcolm Gladwell would argue that Penn State is the is the better value. My 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 uncle, I think, has a bit of a anti-establishment contrarian streak, and would probably say the same thing for you know just what's the point? You know, it's, it's over, it's overrated. It's overhyped, you know, Ivy League is, you know, he'd roll his eyes and, you know, I see his point too, but um, it's, it's also one of those things where on the margin, it's really hard to make a decision where you, you, you sense in any way, this could potentially jeopardize your child's future or their ability to earn or to, to, to have the life that they want or anything like that. Though on the other side of things, and, and I, on the other side of things here, I, I do feel like in reality, people are actually really resilient and you can go to almost any college. You can go to ASU and, you know, just mess around for a couple of years. And then if you find yourself afterwards that you're really interested in something um, there, you know, it's very easy to find, to find your way and, you know, build a portfolio. I'm not easy, I wouldn't say, but it's, it's certainly not insurmountable. And over time, you know, if, if you do that, it just compounds and you, you can, you can, you know, be where you want to be. I agree. I agree. I think it doesn't like doesn't really matter, especially relative to what we might have thought at 17, 18 years old. Like it's just yeah, like, oh my god, seriously. It's just like do whatever do whatever makes sense to you and, and what you want. Um well, I, yeah, I, I, it works out for for most people. Yeah. I had a, sorry, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I had kind of a weird experience last week. I had to run an errand during the middle of the workday, maybe around three o'clock in the afternoon. And on Brooklyn, I had to walk to the G train and I was, you know, going down to the G train platform. And when I got to the platform, it wasn't very busy, but there were a couple of kind of teenagers around and, you know, I barely noticed it. And then as I was standing there waiting for the train, there just started pouring, you know, wave after wave after wave of teenagers coming down the platform and, and onto the, you know, getting ready to go on the G train. And I realized that Brooklyn Tech, uh, which I'll explain in a second, if you're not familiar with it, had just let out. And so I was surrounded by basically the entire student body of this really large high school. And this is um, in New York, you know, there's, it's, it's been in the news lately, there's kind of a gifted or specialized high school program, and you can test into it in middle school. And there are three high schools that are really renowned in New York uh, for their rigor and their admission standards, Brooklyn Tech, Stuyvesant, and Bronx Science. And, you know, in, in New York, it just, you meet people from these high schools all the time, all the time. And so I had this, I had this weird experience of going, well, you know, one, it, it just elicited a lot of thoughts in me. One, I felt really old, actually looking at high schoolers, you see high schoolers on TV and, you know, they're played by 27 year olds. So it's not, not exactly the same thing. Uh, and then I was, I was also thinking, you know, these are the people who've grown up in New York. They've had this big city experience uh, and they're going to one of the best high schools in the biggest city in the country. I mean, there's, there's just so much opportunity that they have. And I had this weird thought in my head of, you know, I really would like in a way to be able to talk to these people and hear, you know, what, what's your life like and what are you thinking about and what are your preoccupations? Is it college? Is it money? Is it family? Is it what you want to be? Um, and, you know, maybe talk about my own. And yet I felt at the same time, even though I was standing side by side, that you know, they're, they're three feet from me, they're, you're, they're surrounding you, you know, you're basically on two different planes of existence and age and, you know, career and, and, and things like that. And also it's just weird to talk to, you know, random high schoolers that you don't know, of course. Um, but yeah, it was, and I, I just, I just spent the whole train ride thinking about, you know, all of this stuff and it, it just took me down a path for a long time of thought. I love that. I love that. They, I've been thinking a lot about, well, um, it's funny you say that. So 
I, I usually work at this coffee shop called Peixoto and it's my favorite locally in AZ. And I was just there and, you know, it's interesting to me, slightly tangential, but how coffee shops back. So hmm, to tie it up, I once, I sometimes wonder whether or not community colleges would be a more optimal experience and form of education for many people for the first two years, if not for continual track into not just this ideology of you need to get a BA and an MA, which congrats, of course, and then a PhD and such, but also the idea of trade schools. And I really do think like seeing people who are mechanics or plumbers and those people who are electricians, they make six figures pretty easily. And then they grow. That's just when they're on their own and they don't even go to school. And it's like so interesting how much discourse, like I never even had that understanding of, and I'm not proud to say it. I, I, when I was in high school, I viewed community college a bit as taboo, right? Like I am not proud to say that. And so when I graduated, I, I went up to San Francisco and worked there a bit, but when I came back home, I actually always had this insecurity about art my sister's always been the artist. And so I randomly took like two Renaissance history courses and an art history 101 or art drawing 101 course at CMC, uh, MCC, Mesa Community College. And it was so fantastic. And it was so cheap. The classes were like 150 to 250. And I had this education and I had this eclectic environment of people of all different ages um, and all different tracks of life. Like the guy to my right drawing would be coming in longboarding, shaggy ripped shorts and shirt sleeping every day in class and just couldn't keep his eyes open and you're like I wonder what his background is I wonder where he's coming from like how did he end up in that seat and then you have this other person who's doing incredible work and you're like that's a kid who's 18 and you're drawing you must have spent at least three to four x longer on your painting for the final project than I did right like there and it's just so interesting that spectrum you get in community college and it was just sad to me to realize not too many years ago how much taboo there is on it and how much like um yeah there's just so much i just i really do think that is it really worth the 50 60 thousand dollars a year at a private university times four 200,000 minimum in debt even asu asu has a lot of foreign exchange students that come in and they get $200,000 in debt because their families are wealthy and they pay for them to come in from China, you know, um, just for that experience. Other people get full rides because it's state really well, state funded tuition if you have good grades. So that's awesome too. But uh, yeah, it just a bit long winded in the sense of to tie that all back around. It's interesting that um, I'm, I went to this coffee shop this past Thursday, I think, and I met this lady there and in the in the renaissance history class there's like a zaba movement and and the art history movement of xyz and back in the day they used to have the coffee shops where they would all come together to trade ideas and talk and i think coffee shops still are kind of that mechanism but maybe a bit more closed off and it was just so interesting that it was the first time in years where i ever met someone randomly at a coffee shop she's 16 high schooler and she was absolutely just on it like i'll i've i was talking to her throughout and she's thinking deeply she's talking about philosophy she's talking about what is she going to be doing in life she's learning wrestling but is also like studying academic high levels and you're like wow you're like 
really on this crazy awesome track you know not naming any names because like going to therapy even and being open about that and you're like wow this is amazing that this individual is is at a public school you know and i went to a public school 30,500 people and it's like i wasn't even close to that thinking like that at all i was uh, you know i was head up my butt to be honest sorry but you know um yeah i don't really know what the point of that all was to be honest i forgot but anyways long story short that's an interesting story it feels almost socially mandated these days to you know of course dislike the generations that are older than you and i think by it you know you have to dislike the generations under you as well and feel that they're different or they've had advantages that you haven't had or something like that but I have to say, I, I think that's Gen Z. They're 16 right now. And, you know, there's some Gen Z starting trickle into the, the workplace. And my experiences are you're just overwhelmingly positive. And I think in a lot of ways that you're describing, maybe that person is partic- you know, a particularly good exemplar of this, but just being uh, very conscientious, um, very kind of socially aware, progressive in the good senses of the, that word these days, uh, achieving, and I'm sure there's some bias in the people that I'm meeting or seeing it and things like that. Of course, people who are, you know, coming into well-known tech companies at 21 are not representative of the general population, but I have to say, I just, I just don't feel, I just don't feel any, any, any problems or resentment towards them. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, they're talking about, oh, so go there, for it. There, there are a lot of, there are a lot of, uh, Gen Z people, but I, I agree. I agree. Like the, um, I think I worked with two interns closely over the summer and they're, they're both, I was like, for both of them, I was like, wow, you're like t- 21 years old. And, and like, you know, all of this about computer science and you've had all these internships and experiences, like, like you're, you're in a really great place. And it was, it was interesting. Cause like, they would both be like very nervous about things and like, and like very shy about other things. <laughs> I'm just like, ah, oh, you're, you're good. Like when I, when I was 21, I was, I was just like, I just wanted to play, but like, wasn't in the same headspace that you are. Um, and again, bias because, because, uh, that's, that's like the kind of person that I interacted with, but, um, yeah, I agree. I also think the same about my sister who, uh, is, is just like, I think of it as she like learned from all of my mistakes Mm-hmm. And then she's just, she's just like doing all these, all these really cool things. And so I'm just like, man, at least, at least my, at least my mistakes uh, were fruitful for, for other people. <laughs> so. Yeah. Isn't that what they say about the elder sibling? I'm the younger sibling. The elder sibling is the one that has to hack through the forest. You know, your parents are the first time like figuring out how to raise a kid or offspring. Yeah. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and you're, then the, the younger one is the one that just kind of walks in your wake. <laughs> and so, especially with applying to colleges and such. Um, but yeah, something that's so interesting to me was the fact that you know how we grew up and we had the Max, the Apple, the IMAX with the colors in them. If we, if you guys had them, in, like oh, yeah. that, that was the cutting edge at the time, and I never really thought about it. But this lady, she was talking to me, and she's like expressing to me how she, ha- she's deeply thinking about social impact, social groups, giving back, and working with like underprivileged kids, but also how they, her friend groups and stuff, hang out on Discord. She's like talking about how her community 
is usually through discord and she's like feeling separation from the real world in a sense. And it's like trying to navigate that. And I was like, Whoa, especially with COVID, I was reading some articles where they're like, kids are losing social dynamics and teachers are in the classroom again with them. And they have to reteach these kids social dynamics. And you're like, how do people forget? But I guess that makes sense. Um, and then like another one was, she's like, yeah, we actually take tests online. And I was like, for classes that you're in person with, she's like, yeah, we'll like take tests on the computer. I'm like, wait, what? It's crazy to me. Like this whole idea about online curriculum and this modern workforce where to us, we had the iMac, you know, and like the keyboard thingy, maybe like a test, but now we've got real legit kids in like high school taking CS courses and such. We need a design course, to be honest. There's not enough UX UI out there, but um, yeah, like overall, it's kind of amazing what these, these Gen Zers you said are getting. It's amazing. I mean, when we were in high school and college, the older generation was probably thinking the same thing. They're like, wow, yeah, totally. they're submitting their assignment on the internet. <laughs> what's a library i don't know what a library is like i was talking to someone that you have to go to a the library into the basement and you just find this book and then take it home for a day you know you're like oh to be fair i i still i haven't recently but i was still going to libraries until i was like 25 i just got a library yeah uh, libraries membership uh, two months ago well, that's great yeah, li libraries are great it's a it's a place to study, um, put like you, there, there, there's an app called, uh, um, Libby that you can use mm, to, yeah. to rent, um, books, eBooks and audiobooks. But yeah, I, I love libraries. I, I think it's such a great public service. Um, but yeah. Oh, I have a, I have a question for the both of you. Um, kind of related to the school topic from earlier, I was wondering if you would both send your kids to like private high school or like private, like, like kind of like high school. And like, is that, is that something that you would like strive for? Well, I, I guess I guess there's the, there's the financial component of it. Is that possible? Is it a worthwhile investment? And then there's, you know, let's just assume that that's the case and it's okay. You can afford it. Then if you really have a choice in the matter, would you opt for it? I don't know. It's, it's crossed my mind. I mean, we've talked a little bit about, um, you know, do we want to say, do we want to stay in New York? Do we want to go somewhere else? We'd like to be in a city. Uh, do you send your kids to public school in the city? Do you hope they get into Brooklyn tech? This is way into the future. Um, do you send them to the local elementary school? Do you put money away for the for a private school um, just to get a you know get get away from everything? And it's weird because I, I mean, in in a bigger picture, I feel such a sense of guilt just for having that thought of you know I'm in I'm in Brooklyn and there are elementary schools and middle schools that teach that are well staffed and well funded, um, but that maybe aren't very well regarded um, or that. Most frankly, you know, like, let's say, you know, white or maybe Asian families or parents wouldn't want to send their kids to. Um, and it's one of those things where you, your, your ideals are very much at odds with um, your desire for your kids to be educated. And often I think the, the second one kind of overrides, second consideration overrides the first. It's tough. It's tough. Um, so I, I don't have an answer, but it's, it's, it's something I've, I've thought about and um feel a lot of uncertainty about 
Yeah, I find it a hard question too. I, I honestly wonder whether or not when I have kids, I don't know when I'll have kids, but um, like you didn't even ask about the homeschooling component. And I, and I'm wondering about progression tracks. So like, I know that I struggled a lot in school in certain ways where um, I, I did. Hmm. Yeah. There's, there's different, like I'm not a rote learner and I know a lot of people aren't and I don't know if money, uh, whether or not I can afford it is one whole other question, but just aside from that, um, I think our education system didn't teach me at least. I feel like it kind of let me down at least a bit in the sense that I never realized how much of an experiential learner I was rather than a rote and memorization type learner. And that's something I do wish could be improved a bit more. I do appreciate and approve of the social dynamics and the crafting of having to interact with you know, children at a young age and navigating all of that. If you do homeschooling and you have a customized curation of curriculum and you're having different progression speeds for different curriculums, how does one modularize that rather than just having it be by grade? Because personally, I know that I was doing well in X or fell behind in Y, you know, and, and there were moments where I really wish it wasn't just so like, I need to get to the next grade or else I fail. If I don't make it, then I'm not going to go to college. And then, you know, and then you like certain things uh, start to end up in the calculation that aren't beneficial, I think, to what if I think about if, what a optimized or an optimal and happy experience for my children would be. But I do worry a bit about the homeschooling component. I do like curated component, uh, curated learning methodologies, but I also do worry about social interaction and dynamics. So if, uh, if, if I did go that route, which I'm really don't know at all, if I did do that hypothetically and have them homeschooled and I did figure out how to teach it well, because I don't know if I'd be a good teacher or my wife or whatever, um, and, or would be to get them into like sports and to get them into recreational things. But how, like, how do you do micro interaction states? for social dynamics if you don't get that social dynamics from a group setting at a school and and i don't know if like private or public can buy that but i do think private schools can probably buy you much higher quality teachers like for example in arizona we just had red for ed uh, uh, and so for education and it was a big uproar because arizona pays teachers probably one of the most in all of the states uh, least Arizona probably pays teachers one of the least in all the states publicly for public schools. And there's like a moment where Austin, Texas or Texans were advertising on our billboards. We pay our teachers more 20,000 more or something, you know, and it's like that disappointing. And I know a few teachers that are personal friends and it's really sad to me that they, they it just is so sad to me how we're letting down our kids, especially in Arizona um, at public schools because of the political dynamics and triaging and not triaging refunneling of reallocation of money for different things that aren't focused on teachers. And it, and it just really, really boggles my mind. So private schools can get you better education if you're picking from the two, probably because they have, you know, but I don't know. I, I turned out decent. Yeah, mediocre. I think 
yeah i think all of us went to public schools so yeah i was looking at the, the stats for the uh i think class of 2025 admitted to princeton whenever that was and they actually break down the uh you know like the, the educational background of the admitted students or maybe it's the matriculated students more, more likely and um I, if I remember correctly, it was pretty even mixed between private and public schools. I can't remember which was on top. I think public schools was maybe a little bit larger, but I'm not, I'm not confident about that. Um, but what surprised me was that the share of homeschooled students, it was something like one or 2%. It was really minuscule. And I don't know what the share is mm. overall. Maybe it is something like that. Maybe it's a little bit larger. Um, but for whatever reason, I would have expected it to be higher because I was thinking, well, I know a lot of people who homeschool, you know, maybe they have certain religious backgrounds, maybe they live in more rural areas, maybe they're anti-establishment. I mean, a lot of people have beliefs like that that drive them towards that decision. But I can imagine that there's a decent cohort of people who just like you're describing that want to give, give their kids a more involved education. They maybe have a background in education themselves that are maybe, you know, products of universities and don't want their kids to go into public school or private school. Uh, and for that group of people going to a place like Princeton seems like a pretty good outcome from that experience. So it was kind of surprising to me that apparently that's not quite as common as I thought it might be. Wow, that's so interesting. And I, I know that people game these things. So I guess maybe that's the opportunity to be a homeschooled student in Wyoming who grew up on a farm. Um, and, you know, you'd be the, be the one uh, student that's admitted from that group um, probably gives you a leg up in admissions, which speaks to the point you mentioned earlier about as soon as you add grades and ways of measuring things that it almost twists why people are doing things and what motivates them. Um, but people, people will go, of course, to great lengths to get into a place like Princeton. Yeah, seriously. I, I mean, there, I, I taught kids to swim in China for a summer and like junior year of college in Shenzhen and part-time job as well as that was to be at, and I had a line, so don't, I was not cheating in that sense, but I was an ed essay editor for Chinese student kids whose parents had enough money to pay this place exorbitant amounts and pay me nothing. And I was their imported white guy, you know, American dude and, and mixed blood. So I look kind of white. So they like would use me to sell a bit and uh, would edit their essays to go to college and stuff. You know, I mean, there's edit editing essays and writing it is different. So that's my moral line, but it was an interesting one where I would like, this is a really boring essay. Like, what are you doing, kid? Let's think about you. How do we make you more interesting? Like, what is your story? What's your background? Like one of them, their mom owned like multiple of the biggest malls in Shenzhen. And she's like, yeah, I hang out with gangsters every day because we have to pay them off to protect our territory. Like, whoa, this sounds barbaric, but it's real, you know, like, and yeah, these are, and that's happening all the time in different countries with people of upper class. Uh, and so it's almost like exactly what you're saying. Um, I don't know how fair it is. I read a really funny anecdote about a student who was uh, yeah, a student at a private or international school in, in China um, who got some sense that in the West, a lot of students write their essays around you know, vulnerability and hardship and struggles, but never the immigrant experience. That's the one topic uh, that you apparently can't write about because it's, it's so trite these days. Um, and so she ended up writing an essay where she described how her very wealthy father, she told him that she wanted to give back in some way. Um, 
And so she described, you know, flying on his private jet to Tibet and then working for a day in the city with poor people and how she had to overcome her feelings of repulsion, basically, in that environment and then fly back at the end of the day. And she thought, oh, this is a good essay because I'm describing how I had to give up so many things and had to, you know, mix and, and, and do service. And of course, anyone reading that sees just how transparently, you know, that that is, you know, like uh, trying to trying to pull at the strings of the, the reader in a really bad way and um, quite kind of misses the point. And it was funny because I was thinking like, they're kind of moving in the right direction. And if they were more sophisticated, if they were better at gaming this, they're actually almost all the way there. You know, you leave out the details about the private plane. You talk about how you flew um, and the experience and how hard it was for you. And, you know, being conscious suddenly of your class and where you stand in relation to these people. And you had to, you know, deal with that baggage for the first time in your life and see yourself for what, how they see you and things like that. And you're, then you're there, then you're there, then you have an essay but just, just miss the mark a little bit. And I think over time, as people game these things, they get closer and closer and better and better um, at, at pulling things in the right way. And then as a lot of people do it, they probably look for different things. There's a, of course, like a, a gaming, like an unspoken uh, element where, you know, think certain things are in and then they're not in anymore and something else is in. Um, it's, it's funny. I just want to say, I love listening to you talk because I can see the analytical side <laughs> and I absolutely love it like in so many ways it's amazing i this is yeah i we may not have enough time to talk about it today but yeah it was one of the things i want to talk a little bit about is how um i don't know if it's the case for you guys you're both tech people right john i know that's true of you and he or you i, I work mm-hmm. in fintech yeah 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 where I, I feel like that's just part of life. And, you, you know, you're always looking at numbers and analyzing things and then how sometimes, you know, bringing that, bringing that home or in the way you approach things is helpful. And sometimes it, it just kind of gets in the way of things. And maybe, maybe at a future day, we can, we can discuss that a little bit further. Ooh, Sam, Sam, you're, you're welcome anytime for, <laughs> <laughs> for around two and around three, anytime. Uh, I literally, I literally have like a one sheet list of topics here that, you know, I think we crossed off two of them or so. I didn't even get to, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I open up by asking about your plants. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. And no, Sam no. was more prepared than we were here. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh, my, my mortal fear here was just, just, you know, sitting here and are sitting, yeah, sitting here and just staring at each other and not having anything to say. And we can do that too. That sounds great with me. Anything Three, two, one. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I have a I have a fun story. Um, like a, a few weeks ago, three friends and I, um, I like I just mentioned the time at when I lived in a monastery, and we would do this weird thing where, at the start of every dinner, for the first half of dinner, we would listen to classical music and not talk, and we would just eat. And, I, and I, I was like, yeah, it was really cool. And then they were like, let's do it right now for dinner. And so, so we did it and like everyone liked it. And it was, it was like, it was a very pleasant experience. Um, just, wanted, just wanted to share that like it happened at a restaurant and it was such a weird thing, but, but we were like, it was like, it was a lot of, it was like way more fun than I expected. Well, you were actually out in public when this happened. Yeah, we were at a restaurant. Yeah. As soon as the food came, we were just like, <laughs> um, but that that's, that's not one of Sam's bullet points. So we should, uh, 
Well, it, no, it is, it is an interesting topic. And um, I, I do feel that there's such, I, I personally feel such discomfort with silence, with not knowing what to say or seeing other people not know what to say. It really, really gets to me in a way that it's hard to describe just how, how strongly I feel about it. And, uh, you know, if my fiance, I don't feel that way, thankfully, you know, it can just be in the car for a couple of hours and, you know, fill the, fill, fill the silences, I guess, with classical music and, and that's fine. But otherwise in almost any social work setting, it's, it's, it's very hard for me to just, to just sit there and not feel just the awkwardness rising and start blushing and the discomfort come on and the sweating and all of that. It, it really gets to me. So I hope as I finish talking, you guys just don't say anything for a moment and let, let me, let me feel it for a bit. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. It's bad. I know exactly what to do when I, when I have dinner with Sam this weekend, I will, I will instruct, I will, or, um, yeah, we will, uh, we will try our best to achieve what the, the scenario you just described, because it sounds wonderful. I love, I love the idea. It sounds wedding. <laughs> really, really getting under my skin. Your stress response kicking in. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I, I, it's a bit. I, the, <laughs> there was one time where we were, um, R and Ding Airbnb experiences, and one of the experiences was locally a blind dinner, and uh, and so we got to go to a place and they blindfolded everybody and you ate a meal multiple courses and you just like talked with people you don't see them you just hear them and you don't see your food you just feel around for your food and you eat it i don't remember if we use cutlery or not and i don't remember but i thought that was actually a really interesting experience too i don't i'd actually really like to do that again it was really fun i talked with this some people and it was awesome and then at the end they gave you a shot you didn't know of and it was it was good um this makes me think of a particular phenomenon. I don't know what the term for it is, but it's something like you have that experience. It's out of the ordinary. You really enjoy it. Right. And you're like, Oh, I do this again, but you probably don't do it again. You choose to do something different and go back to things the way they were. There was that okay. Cupid article years ago where they did that experiment and they took off photos for the day. Do you guys remember this? And then they saw how, yeah, there was, it was an experiment where they basically removed all the photos from the site. And then they, they had their data analysts look at this and see how did interactions change and conversations change. And they saw that like people had a good experience. They talked longer, they had more substantive conversations, they set up dates. And then as soon as the photos came back on, it all reverted back to exactly the way it was. When Facebook was down a couple of weeks ago, everybody online seemed to have the same anecdote of it was so freeing. I didn't have to go to social media. I went there, I couldn't do it. I got to do something else. It wasn't consuming me. And it's, it's like, okay, this is your opportunity. This is your lesson. You get a little bit of taste in you know, somebody choosing for you, you know, you to do something better or healthier mentally than maybe you would have otherwise done, but nobody takes that option. You just go right back to the way it is. And, you know, maybe it's habit or just, you know, it's, it's so ingrained or you feel like you're missing out on something, but I feel like I could go on with other examples of, um, yeah, yeah. These, these experiences that ought to change your perception and your preferences in some way, but, but don't quite. For what it's worth, I took that option because I don't have Facebook and I, like it's like i don't i don't have i don't have it so i, I did take that option did not the outage did not affect me 
it's uh, I have nothing to do but exercise and exercise. It felt really good, but then like, I'm not going to do that tomorrow or I'm over it or, you know, just any, anything in that vein. Um, and if it's not Facebook, I don't have a Facebook account either. I actually just deleted it this past week. Thanks to that. If possibly to that whistleblower it, at some point, the news just gets so bad about the company. I, I went from deactivated to deleted. Um, but you know, then, then some other site or some other tool, uh, replaces it in some other way. It's hard to, hard to stamp it out entirely. Yeah. I, I think when it went down, they calculated that every single minute that it was down, they lost $200,000. I was like, whoa, that's unreal to have that much consistent income. But uh, yeah, I feel like the one thing that's keeping me without deleting my account on Facebook are photos. Literally, that's the only thing. And I've tried to download my data. Talk about issues. I've tried to download my data probably a year ago, two years ago, three years ago now. And it would never download my data. It was a broken download link and mm. it never got fixed or something. And then it was just too confusing. And then my drop off, drop off happened. And I'm sometimes wondering, I'm like, this is Facebook. Like either they totally didn't mean this or B, this is shadow UX, right? Like oh, it's, it's absolutely the latter because yeah. it's like you do the statistical analysis of like, oh, it's so easy to sign up. It's so easy to put data in. It's so hard to get data out. It's so hard to, um, delete your account. And then it's like, what's the likelihood that just on chance that that would be the case so consistently across products and sites and tools. And I think, well, it's very, very low, which makes me believe this hypothesis that, you know, it's, it's, it's by design. Although I will say for what it's worth that when I deleted my account, they, they make you two factor authenticate repeatedly, or at least in my case they did, which was annoying because I could barely remember my password and I had to keep going to another room to grab my phone which I suppose is on me, but I was actually able to download my data. And I guess maybe I just also didn't have that much of it from years ago and got it. Uh, my posts and photos, which I was too scared to look at. I didn't really want to go back to, you know, the 2009 headspace in any way, but uh, at least I have it for the future. Zipped in, zipped and stored in the cloud. Sam, at least you were well-dressed in 2009. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to look at the photos, but that that is my recollection roughly. Yeah. Does it, uh, did it download? I'm just curious. Did you happen to know if it downloaded your tagged photos? Uh, oh, I don't, I don't think so. I think just content that I uploaded, um, though in theory, somebody else uploaded the photos, then they're still out there. I guess though you can't really see them yourself. Uh, yeah. You, you can manually download them. Although they make it very, very hard to download photos. I think this is still the That's case. It's so sad to me. It's like so I sad. I don't know how they do it because, you know, usually you right click, save the image. If you can't do that, you know, developer tools, you look at the requests, you know, they're calling the photo, there it is. Okay. I download it that way. You know, I, I, there's, there's something that they do on top of that, that, that towards that, or at least is beyond my technical expertise. Um, and so I, you just end up screenshotting, or at least that's what I've done in the past and the screenshotting things. Just a good idea. Um, um, I could, I could uh, get the image for you. Yeah. They're, they're serving it's, it's somehow it's there, but I don't know how CDN, like, I don't know how to do it. Some 21 year old could do it, you know, blind at a restaurant playing, you know, listening to classical music, but I, I cannot do it. I These know. days, the 16 year old, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was going to say before, when you're, when you're saying that anecdote that for a couple of years after graduating, I, um, I interviewed uh, candidates for Oxy in New York. So there'd be people who grew up in New York, they couldn't make it to the, make it to LA to interview, which is a pretty common case. And so you meet with a representative, I think it's a pretty standard thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember again, just being so 
impressed by student after student, you know, seniors in high school. And I know that they're performing because I'm there and they know they have to act a certain way and they have to answer questions in a certain way. And if you really want to be a jerk, you can ask really hard questions where you're supposed to say like, I don't know, I haven't thought about it, but they don't know how to do that. And you can watch them squirm a little bit and see how they respond to adversity. But I don't actually recommend doing that. But yeah, I, I was just overwhelmingly impressed with, with the people that I talked to. Wow. That's cool. That'd be fun to do. Hugh, I know you have a, you have a thing. Right? I'm so sad, actually. Yeah, I, I, wish, I would wish, love to keep talking more. Yeah, we, 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 uh, we should have a, a round two and a round three, and then it should just be a weekly thing. And then we should uh, <laughs> make it so that Sam can't make it to work meetings because we're just recording podcast after podcast. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> for now, we will end today's episode. <laughs> Well, I, th- I appreciate the invite. This is a this is a good conversation. It's nice to meet you here, and oh, hey. hopefully, hopefully we'll have to do it again. And and Sam, I forgot to ask you, what is your uh, words of wisdom for our our thirty six subscribers? Your parting thoughts. Oh, that's that's the one thing I didn't prepare to answer. I'll I'll come next time with the answer to that. That's not that's not the right answer, actually. <laughs> Anything else? What what parting thoughts do you have? I actually the last thing I wanted to talk about was. Um, was wedding songs. I wanted to get your opinions on wedding songs. So maybe, maybe we'll in the future talk to the, check in with your subscriber based on that. Yeah. I love Put it. In I'm the an comments Abba guy. Below. Definitely an Abba guy. Oh, that's, that's an interesting Dancing joke. queen, young and sweet, only 13. Doo-doo. All right. Anyways, I, I'm excited. What's yours? What's yours? Well, uh, I don't know. Put me on the spot. Uh, I I really like I really like that song um, by FKJ. I listen to a lot. What is it? What is it called? It's like um, go no 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 going back home. No 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 no. no. I'm going gonna listen alone. to it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't wanna go back home. I don't wanna. I don't wanna go back alone. Hey. I like that song. Do you know this song, Hugh? I, I can't quite place it. I'm going to listen to it in the car ride, though. <laughs> <laughs> mm. All right. Cool. And you, Sam? And then I'll close it up. Well, I, yeah, I asked because we're actually planning uh, a wedding for April. And so we're working on this collaborative Spotify playlist, my fiance uh, and, and I. And we were and it's just trying to think, you know, what's out there? What, what's, the, what's the crowd pleaser that just isn't coming to mind? Um, so these, these, these are some ideas for me. Although, be, John, I guess yours was the antithesis of a crowd pleaser, but I think ABBA got some, some nodding heads. So maybe that's the answer here. <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be fine with the Spotify playlist, Sam. I'm sure there's a wedding playlist, and I'm sure you know how to search for them. <laughs> you can take data analytic metrics on which are the popular songs and then just collate them. And then there you've got your playlist. It's honestly not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, well... Anyways, everybody, we're going to have to sadly wrap it up due to me being a bad host today. I want to just say again, thank you so much, Sam, for coming on and John introducing Sam to the world and us. And it's really been such a pleasure. And this is another episode of the Moon Tea podcast coming to an end where we talk about craft, community, building meaningful careers. Tune in next week or whenever we post the next episode, but hopefully next week. Uh, See you later. (laughs) Bye. Peace.